In the center of Phoenix lands is a small bustling trade city of Machita Yasumi. A steady rain churns the surface of the packed earth road, drumming on the roof of a small noodle shop in a corner of the invisible market. The smiling bowl is little more than a stall, barely sheltered from an early spring downpour. Its owner works vigorously behind the counter, boiling noodles and broth, chopping ingredients, and passing out food to a dense crowd of eager customers. The sides of their bowls are painted with broad, smiling mouths. Overhead, a wooden sign carved and painted to resemble a bowl creaks in the wind. The samurai arrive in a steady trickle, loosely congregating with one another in the tiny shop. Atsu and Crow attack deep bowls of udon, while Shio pecks at hers. Dayu sits, mystifyingly, before an already empty bowl, her attention clearly elsewhere. Ryojiro watches the other patrons for a while, but eventually settles into his own hoarder of hot, steaming soup. Three customers share a table with them, a lion and a pair of surly, travel-worn ronin. The lion is a broad, bearded man with a barrel chest and a slight belly, but is otherwise in excellent condition. He wears his black hair in a traditional topknot. He's friendly and cheerful, trading a few jokes with a ronin. Both stare into their bowls or into the tabletop, trying to ignore him. When his noodles are slid in front of him, he eats with enthusiasm, almost as much enthusiasm as Atsu. He raises his bowl in friendly recognition. Ah, nothing like a big bowl of noodles on a rainy day, huh? Atsu hesitates before hefting another load of udon into his mouth, his eyes going red around the rims at the interruption. He nearly exhales steam through his nose. Ha! There is no bad time for noodles! A pony trots up the street, flanked by two riders in light, flexible armor marked with a phoenix mod. The center rider is a woman garbed in golden red, Asako Ryoko, looking a little worse for wear in the rain. She dismounts and leaves her pony to one of the guards. The noodle shop's crowd parts at the sight of the phoenix. The ronin quickly gather their swords and leave. Dayu's eyes track them out into the rain with suspicion. Ryoko bows to the samurai as she enters. Her eye contact brief and cool, but certainly briefest to Crow. I thank you for coming in spite of the weather. Chopsticks clatter against bowls as the samurai stand to greet her. Oh, a sakodoro! Atsu speaks with his mouth still full, but he quickly swallows and wipes his lips. So good to see you again! Ryoko smiles at Atsu. She exchanges a bow with the lion bushi on the bench. I see you are enjoying yourselves. Please, sit. She does not seat herself. I trust you received my letter. Crow nods. It was good to hear from you again so soon. I, I hope all is well. Ryoko pauses to lift the hem of her kimono from the mud. It is well enough. I wanted to see you under better circumstances before you departed, now that we are recovered. There is word of issue at North Hub Village. It may be related to the woman you became acquainted with on the bridge, though we cannot know for sure. Atsu's face darkens at the mention of this acquaintance. His eating slows to angry chomps. Crow's face falls. I take it you won't be accompanying us. Ryoko glances at Crow, then pointedly looks away. I'm afraid it's not my place to accompany. I am due for Kyuden Asako. Okoto Torakai will inform you of more, I am sure. She gestures to the lion Bushi. Crow's sigh is very quiet as she lowers her head. The lion samurai grunts and leans back, hastily scooping the last of his noodles into his mouth before sliding his daisho under his obi. He looks at the other samurai appraisingly, his bushy eyebrows raised, and smiles. I am Okoto Torokai. It is good to meet you at last. There is a moment of silence as the samurai slowly look up at him with shocked realization. The wooden bench scrapes the floor as they stand and offer their deepest, most formal bows. <laughs> I apologize for not meeting you sooner. It's good to see Asako-san safe. As she said, our task is investigating a matter concerning a member of the Imperial family in North Hope Village. The letter was addressed with some urgency. Atsu inhales sharply and stands up straight. He juts his lower lip out 
and gives a nod of consent. I shall do this for a fellow admirer of Udon. Shio smiles at Torokai as she rises, eyebrows arched. I would be pleased to meet our friend again and straighten things out. Atsu takes a deep breath. For a moment, it seems like he realizes the gravity of the task they are about to undertake. Almost. He pounds his chest, then waves to the chef and calls for tea to help with his indigestion. Shio covers her mouth, trying not to laugh. Crow forces a polite smile. I'm sure we can handle it. We worked well together before. Torokai folds his arms across his chest, nodding as he looks them over. From what Asako-san has told me, you seem capable. Ryoko surveys him, posture straight and chin lifted. Akoto-sama will surely supply you with horses in this unfortunate weather. Atsu's face becomes little more than a set of teeth. Whoa, how generous. Crow's face lights up. Shio's head draws back at the mention of horses, her smile strained. That is very kind of you. Ryoko smiles, making a conscious effort not to look at Crow. I thank you again for your assistance. It will not be forgotten. The lack of eye contact, again, does not go unnoticed. Crow swallows a frown and forces her attention towards Torokai. If you require me, I will be spending the evening at the Lone Blossom. I thank you again, Okoto-sama. Ryoko bows, giving Crow her own separate small incline of her head, and leaves the noodle stall. Once Ryoko has departed, Torokai turns to the samurai. Well then. He claps his hands together. His face is reddened from sake, but he has not indulged enough to stumble. I would enjoy sharing many more bowls of noodles with you all. But the phrase great importance in Otomo-sama's letter leaves me uneasy. We will depart at dawn. Shio's features have turned forlorn at Ryoko's departure, but she quickly directs her attention back to Torokai. It's no trouble. I will be ready. She returns to her noodles, certain that he won't mind her finishing. Oh, at dawn? Well, that leaves more time for feasting. Atsu beams. He wastes no time in ordering round two. Ryojiro returns to his soup. He eats slowly, lost in thought. Crow looks away, her mood having taken a turn for the worse at Ryoko's snubbing. Well, I'm off to gather my things. I'll see you all tomorrow. She leaves no time for farewells, turning on her heel and departing the stall. I will await you at the stables. Enjoy your meals. Torokai says with a smile. He departs into the downpour. Dayu looks over her shoulder at her worldly possessions, small bag resting against her seat. Her expression does not change. She quickly gathers her things, bows to the group, and plunges into the rain. Much later, at the Lone Blossom, Crow leaves a damp carnation and a scroll in front of Ryoko's door. She does not wait to see if they are received. Dayu watches, eyebrows rising in curiosity beneath her hat. She says nothing of it. When morning comes, rain pounds heavily against the ground. No sunlight escapes the thick blanket of clouds, and the air is cold enough to draw plumes of crystallized breath. Torokai is at the stables when they arrive, tightening the girth of his pony's saddle and brushing its trimmed, tawny mane. He wears an oiled traveling cloak and booms a cheery greeting as the samurai arrive, swinging onto his pony's saddle. He is too awake and animated for early morning, let alone such a dismally wet one. Crow arrives shortly after Torokai, full of vigor and excitement at the sight of horses. She greets and acquaints herself with every single pony there feeding each of them an apple slice. She saves a whole apple for her own pony. Once he's finished it, she hops on effortlessly, tests the reins, and pats his mane. The rest of the samurai approach hesitantly. They touch their noses, manes, and tighten the saddles, unused to horses and unpracticed at riding. Atsu casts a doubtful look on his tiny, shaggy pony, comparing the length of its legs with his own while Ryojiro seeks riding tips from the stable hands. Dayu accepts her reins stoically, as if girding herself for a great and terrible battle. Shio hovers just out of biting range until she's forced to mount, and then she does so with great hesitance, 
Their ride is swift and uncomfortable, a journey through chilly spring rain that lasts all morning and afternoon. The gentle rolling plains of the Lionlands are unchanging, and while the ponies' hooves slide in the slick mud, they are sturdy and experienced, even if some of their riders are not. Crow never stops grinning despite the rain, quick to offer help to anyone struggling. She dispenses useless trivia about horses a few times throughout the ride. The others are less enthused. Shio and Ryojiro clench their teeth the entire ride. Mud coats Atsu's Hakama from the waist down. He is grim-faced, though whether it's from the terrible weather or feeling ridiculous and oversized on the back of a tiny Rokugani pony is impossible to tell. While Dayu is coated in mud, it doesn't seem to change the look of her, dark and dour-faced as she is. The rain slows as evening approaches, and the western sky is tinged with the fires of sunset as they near North Hub Village. North Hub Village is large and prosperous, and its streets are crowded as the samurai ride through the gates. Sake and tea houses, inns, and other businesses are lighting lanterns for evening customers, and they pass a couple of bright streets where geisha linger in the upstairs windows of Oki. Torokai ignores the sights, asking for directions a couple of times as he seeks the residence of Otomo Soji. Crow, however, only has eyes for the geisha, winking and grinning and being generally insufferable as they pass. Atsu tries to look natural and relaxed, but the veins in his forehead bulge. As they turn into a residential area, the gated compounds of private estates line the street. Whether they are the homes of samurai or wealthy merchants is impossible to tell. Their gates are all equally luxurious, covered in intricate carvings and inlay. Torokai counts houses, sitting straight up in a saddle, but before he finds their destination, a woman on horseback approaches from up the street. She wears a heavy black cloak over her dark kimono, and a white mempo depicting a woman's features. The mask covers her entire face save for eye holes and a thin opening for her mouth. Blood-red lines follow the mask's cheekbones to the jaw, and a vertical line is painted down the center of its lips, ending at the chin. Okoro-sama, I am sorry to be so late. The scorpion bows to Torokai in her saddle. This is the wrong place. The merchant we seek resides on the street of inverted fate. Torokai's face tightens. He starts to protest, but before he can say anything, the woman rides close. No questions. Please. If we're to help Otomo Sojin, follow me. Torokai hesitates, passing a glance over his shoulder at the samurai behind him before falling in beside her. Of course, my friend. He nudges his horse into motion and nods for the rest to follow. Though the rain has stopped, the street is littered with puddles. Water drips from the eaves of buildings and food carts, and many passers-by still carry their parasols. The scorpion soon leads them away from the bustle of the inner city. Once they are alone on the street, Torokai looks back at the samurai. Please say nothing and follow my lead. After a long, winding walk, they arrive at an ochaya, the gentle blossom. Red lanterns bathe its exterior in welcoming light, and music and laughter filters into the street. Torokai bristles at the sight, his hands tightening on the reins. He shoots a look over his shoulder to the samurai, offering a reassuring smile. Ryojiro gulps audibly. Shio and Crow, however, perk up atop their ponies, consumed by the prospect of Geisha. The scorpion dismounts at the door. The servants stable the samurai's ponies with care, half-bowed as they do so. Shio fixes a fold or two in her howery and puffs out her chest while Crow gives her a sidelong look. Atsu ducks to avoid striking the beams as they enter, frowning at the low ceiling. The Okasan of the Gentle Blossom bows deeply to the scorpion as they enter, welcoming her with a wide smile. Tamakichi-san, I have brought friends. Of course, of course, friends of yours are always welcome. She bubbles as the samurai enter. A slight, pretty woman in her mid-forties, she has a round face and wears an immaculate kimono of black silk patterned with crimson flowers. Though she is cheerful, it is polished, 
practiced. Crow beams, bowing to the Okasan, who smiles in return before she turns to the rest. Ah, crab and lion, so strong, all of you. And handsome. Her eyes widen at Dayu as she takes in the Kuni face paint and the rainwater streaming off her hat. She forces herself back into motion, smile delayed. Dayu does not smile back. Atsu scrutinizes Tamakichi's lack of musculature, dissatisfied. The scorpion hands her Daisho to a guard in the front hall, who carefully stores them in a dark wood cabinet already brimming with countless other katana of all make and color. The guard, a ronin, holds his hands out expectantly, palms up. After an uneasy pause, the samurai hand over their weaponry. Dayu holds onto her fans with a death grip, but eventually gives up and seethes as they move inside. The common area of the gentle blossom is spacious and decadent, smelling of incense and sandalwood. Geisha entertains several gathered circles of samurai around low tables and red pillows, pouring drinks, listening to their stories, and admiring their battle scars. Beneath the smell of sandalwood is the slightest whiff of opium, faint enough to be drifting from some other floor. Shio follows Torokai closely, her head swiveling and her smile growing as she takes in the sights. Crow also seems more or less unaware, or uncaring, of any potential threat. She does her best to be charming, bowing where necessary, giving women who look their way slanted grins and winks. Ryojiro strains to keep from looking uncomfortable, with little success. He can't fathom paying to talk to a woman when he has no idea how to even do it for free. The scorpion leads him through the common area, to a side room with double shoji doors. At a small table in the center of it, an elegant older man dressed in deep green robes holds an untouched drink. Lines of anxiety crease his face as he stares into the middle distance. He half listens to a shamisen in the hands of an exceptionally lovely geisha, her red hair bound in an elaborate shimada bun. Her face is painted white, with two purposeful dots of red pigment above her slim eyebrows. May we join you, Otomo-sama? The older man looks up, blinks, and nods quickly, his face alight with sudden hope. The scorpion turns to the geisha. Kauri, perhaps a more vigorous melody would be fitting. The geisha smiles. She begins strumming her shamisen with a stronger theme, veiling their conversation beneath the music. The safety measure in place, the scorpion introduces the older man. This is Otomo Sojin, an honorable man who serves our beloved emperor. He has great need of your services, Okoto-sama. I have been pleased to act on his behalf. She bows to them. I am Shosuro Kane. The samurai bow in greeting, introducing themselves and seating themselves on small embroidered pillows. Crow eyes cowering, smirking as she chances several lingering glances. They're met with small smiles and fluttering eyelashes, but Kauri does not move. Sojin launches into a too-fast explanation, his cup of tea clutched tightly in his pale fingers. Samurai-sans, it is good to meet you. My son, Kukari, he is... he is missing. This morning I received this note. He fumbles in his kimono and hands over a crumpled piece of paper covered in crude kanji. It reads... Otomo Sojin, we have your son. If you wish to preserve your family's bloodline and reputation, you will pay us the debt he owes, either in Koku or through favor and assistance. If you wish to see your son again, come to the well in the square of mingled paths at midday tomorrow. Come alone. Do not seek the help of the authorities, or we will know and he will be punished. Kane lowers herself into a seat. I am honored enough to have a Tomosama as an acquaintance. When I saw he was troubled, I offered to help as best I could. He showed me this letter, and I realized at once that a magistrate from outside the city, one who would not be recognized by whatever criminals have done this, would be our only chance. She looks to Torokai, inclining her head. I had heard that you were nearby, Okoto-sama. You seem the most likely prospect. I am happy that you have brought companions to assist. Torokai gives Kane a sidelong, lingering glance, his jaw working. Heard that he was nearby, his face says, but he remains silent. 
Ryojiro examines the letter with a trained eye, searching for signs of authenticity and origin. A hint of existential despair creeps into his face at the prospect of being roped into organized crime. Sojin wrings his hands, distraught and trying his best to save face. I, Akoto-san, I must insist you serve as my Yojimbo. These criminals thought nothing of kidnapping the son of an imperial servant. They might strike me next. Torokai exhales through his nostrils, looking torn. I would know more of this situation, Otomo-sama, as I am sure the others would prefer as well. Sojin nods, his head wobbling unsteadily. Okari went out two nights ago and did not come home. He often goes out late into the evening, with sons of other well-regarded samurai his age, but he, he always... He always returns before morning. He rubs the corner of his eye. I admit I do not know who these friends are. And I know nothing of this debt he owes. When the servants began the morning cleaning, they found the letter. I was at a loss. I walked through the city and eventually came across Shosuro-san. He gestures to her. Kane nods. I suspect the kidnappers are watching Otomo-sama's home to ensure he does not summon assistance. Fortunately, my family has an interest in this tea house. She indicates around them. I am sure we cannot be watched here. Criminals or not. There is the hint of a charming smile from behind her mempo. So none shall know of our meeting. Ryojiro eyes her doubtfully. Atsu merely grunts. Kani folds her hands behind her back. Otomo-sama has not told the local magistrate. I'm afraid a near commoner who already does so little to control the city's criminals would not be able to assist. She may well also be watched. Shio raises her eyebrows, mouth pursed in thought. Otomo-sama, may I ask, the people your son would go out with, do you know which of them he was closest to? Kane shakes her head. I'm afraid neither of us are sure. Ryojiro holds the letter, frowning as he continues to stare at the messy columns of script. Otomo-sama. Do these kidnappers know how close you are to your son? Sojin bristles, his posture straightening. My son is an honorable heir, a dutiful one. Surely any would know that. Crow's brow knits in thought, doubt touching her face. With the utmost respect intended, is there any chance that your son might have left of his own accord? Sojin's face twists in shock. He quickly smooths his features not deigning Crow worthy of a glance. My son would not leave in such a way. Crow bows deeply in her seat. Of course. Sojin turns to Torokai, who sits rubbing his chin. Sojin's face strains in frustration, slowly worsening as he sits. His fingers clutch into the hexagonal patterns on his akama. Please, Okoto-san. I am of the Imperial House. My very family has been attacked. It is your duty to keep me safe. Torokai's expression is neutral, save for the slight furrow of his eyebrows. He closes his eyes and exhales. I will pledge my protection to you, Otomo-sama, until your son is found. Atsu sniffs, his face a rictus of disdain. Ryojiro looks wistfully at the ceiling. I assure you we wish nothing more than to help. Dayu inclines her head to Sojun before continuing her gaze sliding to Kane. How well did the two of you know each other? Kane stands, smiling thinly. Atomo-sama and I have had several occasions on which we have met, but none so deep as this. Crow watches Kane stand, brown-knit, but doesn't tempt another outburst. Her eyes are downcast respectfully soon enough, at least until they find Kaori again. Kane turns to Sojin and bows low. Atomo-sama, you are troubled. I will handle this, yes? And speak to our assistants while you rest. Sojin sighs heavily, waving his hand at Kaori for her to cease playing. Kaori offers Crow a slight smile as her fingers go still on her shamisen and tries to avoid meeting her eyes. She does not entirely succeed. Torokai stands, turning to the samurai. I ask that you carry this investigation out on my behalf. He bows as they depart. Of course, Okoto-sama. As they leave, 
Shio levels a dead-eyed look at Kane, politeness gone a little chillier. The scorpion lingers meaningfully as Torokai and Sojun disappear into the night. Kane clears her throat, taking her seat. You understand. We of the scorpion are required to maintain contacts with certain unsavory aspects of society. I would not wish to sully Otomo-sama's ears with discussion of such matters. Otomo-sama's son Kakare is a young man known to frequent the, uh, less reputable districts of town. She pauses long enough for the samurai to consider. They look among one another with confusion and a hint of dread. I fear it is one of these districts that he has fell afoul of whoever has committed this crime. In the aftermath of Kane's pronouncement, the samurai sit in silence. Strains of music and laughter filter through the paper screens. Do you think this is an opportunistic kidnapping? Or do you have a suspicion he may know his captors? Kane settles comfortably on her pillow. I believe it may be opportunistic. And yes, to be sure. Ryojiro gives a knowing nod. Anyone bold enough to kidnap an Imperial son would not make idle threats. I strongly suspect the house is being watched for any visits by magistrate or strange samurai. Kane gives Atsu a look, eyes half-lidded. Atsu self-consciously glances down at himself. Regardless, I can offer this. Kakare often visits the drunken phoenix in the late hours. Kane's head tilts to the side slightly, giving the impression of an arched eyebrow. Shio drums her fingers on the tabletop, her gaze far away. Hmm, are there particular gangs that are associated with this place, if they're known at all? The phoenix is touched by criminal elements, but I'm afraid I don't know who runs it. <laughs> Not for certain, anyway. Ryojiro steeples his fingers. Now that Sojin is gone, the real questioning can begin. Do you know of any operations that would make a bold move, such as this? A small smile develops beneath Kane's mask, barely visible. Any who are looking for blackmail and influence, surely. In this city, many would make an enemy of an Imperial for gain. Shio glances at Ryojiro, eyebrows raised, before looking back at Kane. Then what of the drunken phoenix itself? Can you tell us anything? It is a prosperous gambling house on the way of the Sailor's Walk. It's rather guarded, especially at night, but the street is virtually empty during the day. This is as bald a hint as a scorpion will ever give, despite Kane's largely unreadable masked face. I've never been inside, only heard the stories. Shio smiles at her most guileless. Hmm, I look forward to visiting it. It sounds entertaining. Kane returns a smile. I assure you, it will be. Crow's attention returns to the conversation at hand, grown tired of now unsuccessfully trying to capture Kaori's eye. Perhaps we should split into groups. I can't think of anything more suspicious than the sight of all of us together in a gambling house. Atsu frowns. He may not care about most petty details, but even he knows he's conspicuous. <laughs> ah, yes. She has the right of it. Kane sighs and stands, brushing the folds of her kimono straight. If you have no more questions, I'm afraid I have other engagements this evening. Atsu makes an uncomfortable noise, rubbing the back of his head. He stoops into a quick bow. Dayu stares even more suspiciously at Kane than before, her expression a living, breathing accusation of wrongdoing. How certain are you that it's safe for us to talk here? If Otomo-sama's home is being watched, how do you know that you weren't also followed? If Otomo-sama is being followed, whoever it is is already gone. We are as safe here as can be imagined elsewhere. But it's rather impossible to know for sure, is it not? Dayu's frown deepens. Unless whoever was following him has new plans now that it's known he's asked for help. I suppose we will find out in time. For now, everyone here is far too deep in sake to notice. There is an unspoken, and if they are not, after Kane's words. She bows longer than necessary. I wish you luck in your endeavors. And remember that the magistrate, she... has an unfortunate tendency to meddle in affairs that are not her own. Kane flashes one last smile. Best not offer her the temptation. With that, she departs through a set of sliding doors. Kaori quickly stands and follows on her heels, casting Crow the briefest of glances. The doors snap shut. Shio raises her eyebrows at her retreating back, dislike flashing across her face. Atsu's eyes rest on the doors, beady and considering. Dayu's shoulders sink as she releases a breath she'd been holding. 
We should get started, especially if they know we're looking. Rose slumps in her seat, glancing back to the group, and then less amicably towards Dayu. It's been a long journey. I think we should at least rest for a bit. Ryojiro frowns at Crow. I do not like the idea of poking our noses around this village at night, but we have only until midday tomorrow. It's not how I'd like to spend the night either. Crow sighs through her nose, but doesn't argue. I am tempted to bother this magistrate, despite all warnings to the contrary. Or perhaps because of the warnings. Shio muses, drumming her fingers on the tabletop. Hmm. Perhaps one or two of us should speak to her. The rest of us can wait nearby in case anything happens. At the very least, she may be able to tell us which families this boy was associating with, and we can move forward from there. I could try pushing her for more information, without tripping her suspicions on the crime involved. It is, it is normally my duty to declare my presence to the magistrate and, and offer any assistance. Crow nods at Ryojiro, looking around the samurai with consideration. I'll head to the Drunken Phoenix, then. Maybe I can find something of use while you speak to the magistrate. Atsu gives a serious grunt. His eyes have not budged from the door. Hmm. I will accompany you to this Drunken Phoenix. Crow gives him a creaky, enthusiastic smile. Dayu fidgets on her pillow, clearly ready to leave. I will join you at the Phoenix as well. I will visit the magistrate, but one or two associates would be a common sight traveling with me. It would be safer. Shio stands smoothly. Nodding to him. Hmm, I will go with you. Where do you want to reconvene? Here? Maybe? Shio looks wistfully out to the common room, a gaze that lingers over the fine food, the geisha, and the music. As pleasant as that would be, I don't know that this is as safe a haven as Shosuro-san led us to believe. <sighs> How about the square outside? It's close enough. Atsu's veins stand out a little further at the mention of reconvening at the geisha house, and then recede in relief. He grumbles in hesitant agreement. Crow grunts in acknowledgement. She leaves the room, heading towards the rack to collect her sword. Atsu follows her soon after, remembering that his head must come with as he breaks his lingering stare at the door. Dayu follows impatiently close behind. As the three samurai retrieve their weapons and prepare to plunge into the night, Kaori hovers by the door, watching them go. She gives Crow a bow and a wink. Crow's face softens, unaccustomed to receiving winks. She returns it, her gaze lingering long enough to turn her head as she walks by. She nearly stumbles, but then she's all business, tucking her sword into her obi. Ryojiro leaves the gentle blossom not long after, Shio retrieves her weapons and follows him closely, affecting a guard-like stance. They depart for the home of the Magistrate, a woman of the Tortoise Clan, Kasuga Tenmei. The Magistrate's residence is a fine house near the center of the city, near the walled compound housing North Hub Village's prison. A low wall surrounds a modest garden with a koi pond and a private stable. Attentive servants look up at the approach, curious at visitors arriving so late at night, but cooperate easily enough at the sight of a pair of samurai and a clanmon. Kasuga Tenmei meets them in a small room with a polished, reflective wooden floor, the walls lined with elegant paintings of seaside landscapes. She is a short, compact woman with narrow eyes and a sharply pointed chin, dressed in a simple but high-quality kimono, hakama, and kataginu in tortoise colors of blue, black, and gold with white detailing. Her daisho lie on the floor politely to her right. She bows and smiles. Welcome to North Hub Village, Samurai-sans. Ryojiro bows. I thank you for your welcome. I'm Kitsuki Ryojiro of Shinobin Mori and I've been given leave by my lord to follow up on a connection to a recent investigation. He kneels before her. I must confess, there's a very minor detail. Seeking the underworld connections to goods found in another case. But it would only seem right to be thorough. I do not wish to waste your time on minutia. That would really only seem prideful, but I'd be happy to answer any of your inquiries. Shio bows respectfully. I'm Kitsune Shio of Kitsune Mori. I hope we offer no inconvenience at this late hour. She settles herself slightly behind Ryojiro, face still. Ryojiro folds his hands. In an effort to be as helpful as possible, 
My associate and I would like to offer you our services while we investigate, as our work will not tax our time. Tanmei's eyebrows rise. She gives him a closer look, rubbing her chin. Underworld connections. What do you speak of? Ryojiro shakes his head apologetically. Oh, I do not mean to alarm you. I have no reason to believe there is any untoward activity in your jurisdiction. This was only a minor detail, and the only unwoven thread left rested with contacts that are known to favor your city. He smiles disarmingly. As I said, it is not of great importance. We pursue it only out of thoroughness. I am confident there will be nothing to uncover, which is why I have come to express our desire to make ourselves useful to you in the time that we are here. Tenmei nods, eyes narrowing. She mulls for a moment. I see. I take it you speak of the red foxes and the smiling tigers. Ryojiro tries not to look too pleased with the information. I am sorry. We do not know the names of the contacts, sadly. Only a possible location. May I ask you more about the red foxes and um, smiling tigers? Would they be involved in smuggling, or were they more into banditry and more violent acts like kidnapping? Kidnapping? Tenmei's eyebrows furrow. And what is this possible location you speak of? The unpalatable business in this city are split two ways between two Yakuza. <sighs> the red foxes and the smiling tigers. The foxes control the drunken phoenix. Quite a popular spot for many young samurai in the city. I have seen nothing of their smuggling. Oh, I, I do thank you for your knowledge. That would certainly preclude your city as a possible destination, as I have suspected. I was searching for a smuggling ring and did not think there would be any reason to suspect that this would be more than a nearby landmark at best. Mm. If I am not being too forward, I am eager to hear any tales of these Yakuza. Is there more to these smiling tigers? Is the drunken phoenix a popular for its entertainment? We do not have such interesting occurrences in Shinnaman Mori, I'm afraid. Shio smiles self-consciously. Nor in Kitsune Mori. Ah, of course, of course. It is too small for that. <laughs> in the past, they sometimes clashed openly, in the streets. But my Yuriki and I put a stop to it. The previous administration was much more lax about such matters. <sighs> the gangs are based on opposite ends of the way of the sailors' walk. The foxes are stronger, and the drunken phoenix is quite popular. The tigers inhabit an abandoned inn, procured from its owner several years ago. <sighs> Unfortunately, the Yakuza are an unavoidable aspect of city life. I would rather see them gone, of course. But I prefer to keep things... orderly. And such things are impossible to fully smother. Ryojiro nods. Wholly understandable, of course. He peers at her curiously, adjusting his glasses on his nose. The tigers... Being in an abandoned inn, are they of poor financial position, then? It sounds as if they cannot afford to front a reputable operation. They have not been squashed, so I imagine they're doing well enough. Their new leader is said to be rather young compared to that of the foxes. Young for an Oyabun. In his forties, Ryojiro leans forward, eyes aglow. Fascinating. Do you know more of him? Did your work to control the gangs leave them at the power vacuum? Or perhaps he has a special talent? <clears throat> I, I apologize for being too inquisitive. I find your city to be quite interesting and wish to learn more of your ways of leadership. Such as keeping track of two Yakuza games is, is an honorable feat. Tenmei's eyebrows go up. Of course. I'm afraid I know very little but the names of their Oyabun. Chudo Kire, of the Red Foxes. He is older, well into his fifties. And Ajira, of the Smiling Tigers. Ryojiro digests this for a moment, his eyes far away. I am sorry. I do not wish to waste your time this evening. Is there anything we may do for you while we are here? You have shown great honor in your openness and your assistance in closing our case. It is only right we return the generosity. It would be a great help if you provide me with any information related to the city you find in your investigation. Of course. I will give you a full report before we depart North Hub. He lowers his eyes respectfully. You have been most helpful. In the interest of not disturbing the peace... Are there any other establishments or people of interest to avoid riling and causing a problem? I believe that is all. I appreciate your interest in maintaining peace. Tenmei bows deeply. I thank you for coming, and grant you fortune in your time ahead. The pair bid the magistrate farewell, 
and depart onto the damp, dark streets. While Shio and Ryojiro visit the magistrate, Atsu, Dayu, and Crow make their way to the drunken phoenix. They pass through the way of the sailor's walk, the city's red light district. Gambling houses, lower class tea houses, sake houses, and tiny noodle stalls line the streets, advertising themselves with huge paper lanterns over their doors, and beneath eaves overflowing with rainwater. Shouters stand outside each business, pointing at their signs, gesturing to their doors. Come, come, welcome. Try your luck, Samurai-sama, try your luck. No bed too large or small, fine sake, pretty girls. Welcome, welcome. While Crow is just this side of at home in such a place, Atsu is sour and grumbling by the time they cross a small bridge leading to the drunken phoenix. Only Dayu's focus remains honed on the task at hand. She has calmed since leaving the gentle blossom, but it would be a lie to say she's lightened up. The Drunken Phoenix is a large, prosperous gambling house of several floors, lit with red paper lanterns. Samurai and peasant alike disappear into and spill out of the ornate double doors. Ready? Atsu nods with inappropriate intensity. Dayu barely inclines her head. The three samurai hand over their weapons to a ronin with a neck as thick as a tree trunk before heading into the gambling hall proper. The drunken phoenix feels even larger inside despite raucous rolling crowds. Kazami smoke, sweat, and traces of opium hang thick in the air. Clients swarm around a circular kiosk to collect small tea-colored bedding slips from a scarred ronin. Atsu and Dayu take one each. Pro declines. Beyond the entryway is a sizable room with several long, low tables. Gamblers, mostly peasants, crowd around them watching the dealers as they shake and toss dice. Some bet on simple evens or odds, shouting HACH or CHO to each throw, while others play the more complex fortunes and wins. On the far wall is a long bar where servants collect trays of sake and bowls of rice for table delivery. All of the servants are young women and men, and it is plain to see that they, too, are included in the amenities offered by the drunken phoenix. Two steep staircases lead upstairs to private rooms. Once they've distanced themselves from the counter, Dayu gestures towards two ronin. One at a gambling table, another at the bar in the back of the hall. I recognize them from the smiling mole. Pro and Atsu exchange a glance, nodding. The three split up. Pro heads to the bar, while Atsu and Dayu meander to the betting table. Pro wedges herself into the crowded bar and buys herself a cup of sake glancing casually at the ronin that Dayu singled out. He is tall and disheveled, his cheeks reddened with drink, and missing the little finger of his right hand. Crow lingers, downing sake and making conversation with servant girls as they pass, sometimes unsuccessfully, before turning her full attention on him. You, have, have you seen Otomo Kakari around? Subtlety is not her strong suit, subterfuge even less so, but it's easy enough to look frustrated. The ronin looks up from his sake, sips, and eyeballs her. The cup clinks as he sets it on the counter. Kokare? Two nights ago. He didn't stay long. Dealers pulled him away, they talked, then he left. He's had bad luck for months. He rubs his face, swaying in his seat. I must owe this place fifty koku at least. Two nights ago? <sighs> I should have guessed. Pro downs her drink in one go and leans against the bar refilling his cup. Are you friends? No, I hardly know him. He spends all of his time with Tomoji. When he isn't here, he's always at the Blue Chrysanthemum. Crow grits her teeth, mutters about being owed money, and presses a few zenny onto the bar for both drinks. She shoulders her way to the entrance, in too much of a hurry to notice his eyes tracking her as she goes. Once she has collected her katana and emerged into the open street, she stands on a nearby corner, bathed in red light, and waits. A ronin lingering in the dark isn't terribly uncommon in places like this, and there's no telling when Atsu and Daya will emerge. She folds her hands into her sleeves, scanning the cramped, trash-filled back alley, winding behind the drunken phoenix. It is littered with dango sticks and muddy paper, and stinks of alcohol and waste. A few minutes pass. 
She stalls, watching the patrons stumble out of the drunken phoenix, shifting her weight on her gaita. Most of those who come and go are haymen, commoners. When she's confident that she's not being watched, she heads into the narrow dark, a hand on her katana. Behind the gambling hall sits a bulky one-story house, separated from it by the alleyway. A low, gated wall leads into a scraggly, ill-tended garden where four men lounge. They idly smack clubs into their palms, stand with their arms folded, and pinch dead bulbs off flowers. Crow emerges from the alleyway, lurking just shy of the garden wall to listen to their conversation. In between mentions of which clan sake is best and someone named Hinako, they refer to the house as the inn. Finding this sufficient, Crow slinks back the way she came. The two crab samurai have since found themselves at one of the less crowded tables, where a dealer takes betting slips and stamps them with a mechanical ease of long practice. Playing or watching? The dealer asks, her grin equally practiced. Dayu takes a seat behind the ronin she recognizes, who is dressed in a frayed brown kimono. He reeks of sweat. I'll play. She calmly slides her slip onto the table. Atsu swats his slip into the woman's hand, nearly exhaling steam as he sits down beside Dayu. Dice clatter against the table. Very little time passes until Dayu loses her first bet. Her eyes slowly slide to the ronin beside her as the dealer stamps her slip. I hope your luck is better than mine. Her words pierce his white-knuckled, gritted teeth focus. He stares at her, taking in the face paint and a pair of mon, Kuni and Asawa, on her shoulders. After a moment of consideration, he grunts and places another bet. No better than usual. How's yours? It's as good as the weather. Her face is a mask despite the noise of dice and Atsu's grunting and whooping beside her. Which would depend on one's point of view. She starts to speak, then the dealer stamps the ronin's slip. The ronin curses, slamming his cup onto the table with a loud clack. It sends spatters of sake onto his kimono and his forearms. Dayu freezes as the spray stains her face paint, then gently wipes it off. She bets again, unfazed. But whether you like it or not, it's a long road in the rain. For Ronin especially. Are you traveling alone? The Ronin glares, then he shoves his way forward and snatches his slip from the dealer before she can finish. He waddles quickly away from the table. Hope your luck indoors, Kuni-san. You'll need it. Dayu glares at his back, her train of thought dismantled. She scoops up her small pile of winnings and follows, Atsu in tow. They breach the crowd clumped near the entrance in time to catch sight of the ronin staggering into an alleyway. Undetected, they follow discreetly and stop just shy of the corner, peering around the edge of the building. They watch his path with narrowed eyes, until he collides with a distracted crow. Hey, what are you doing back here? Crow stumbles, ducking her head in apology when she recovers, her face fraught with confusion. I'm afraid I've lost my friends, and I think I've taken a wrong turn. Dayu comes to a jerky, sudden stop, tucking herself into the shadow of the phoenix's eaves and tugging Atsu in by the obi. At first, he doesn't budge, then he humors her. Raised voices cut the night air from beyond the alley near the house. One of the armed men from the garden starts towards Crow and the ronin from the bar, pointing his club at them. Koji, what are you doing? And you? Who are you? Just a fool, losing my way. The man doesn't move. He jerks his head at Koji. Get you, Kira! Koji stumbles past Crow and into the garden, his waraji sandals thumping rapidly on wooden stairs as he disappears inside the house. A few tense moments later, he reappears, trailing a slim young man. Yukira is no older than twenty, but carries himself with arrogant authority. He is slender, with long, fine black hair and delicate features. His deep blue kimono, though the garb of a commoner, is of unusually high quality. He approaches Crow with his arms folded behind his back. Koji said you were exploring back here, yes? What interest does a ronin have here? A thread of panic touches Crow's smile. Asking around is how you find someone, isn't it? I'm sorry. I mean no disrespect. I'm only trying to find my friend. 
Yukira's eyebrows rise. Your friend. Yes, Otomo Kokari. If you must know, he... He's owed me a debt for five days, and I've grown very tired of waiting for him to show his face. <laughs> yes, he did frequent the Phoenix, as I recall. Is he missing? Is he missing? I thought he'd only been avoiding me. Dayu creeps as close as she dares as the scene unfolds. Close enough to help should things go south. Atsu crowds up behind her, shoulders hunched in a futile attempt to appear less massive. It's true, he's not been seen for some time, after all. Such a frequent gambler, that one. The eyes crow appraisingly, eyes half-lidded. And you were hoping to find him here? Crow looks around, gestures to the general area, then shrugs. There is a long moment of silence as Yukira seems to consider between tossing a guard on her or walking away. Finally, he sighs and waves the man with a club back to his post. And you see that he is not here, yes? He gestures to the desolate garden and alleyway, then folds his hands behind his back. Yes, and that is why I was leaving. Yukira arches an eyebrow, bows, and turns on his heel. He starts down the stone path leading to the house, Koji trailing close behind. The guards close the gate, leaving Crow alone in the alleyway. She lingers in perfect stillness until their footsteps fade. Dayu and Atsu wait for her on the other end of the alleyway. It startles her into a laugh, mostly at herself. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to see you. She closes the distance between them. You as well, Krosan. Atsu says with a nod, clapping a hand on her back as they walk. So what did you learn? For all the latest updates in our podcast, be sure to check us out on Twitter at SITWL5R. You can also join our Discord server to talk L5R, Tabletop, and everything in between. Shadows in the West is played using the fourth edition of the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, developed by Alderac Entertainment Group and owned by Fantasy Flight Games.